Why do we read? What motivates us to choose the books that are on our nightstand? Why do some lay unread, collecting dust on our bookshelves? And more specifically, if you consider yourself a Christian, what do we miss when we only limit ourselves to works of Christian nonfiction? Let's be clear. Hebrews 4.12 still stands. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. For many believers, however, fiction falls to the wayside, and classics even more so. What does it do to us, our hearts, our minds, our souls, when we read works of fiction? Welcome to Let There Be Lit. We are so excited for our first episode. To get us started, we're going to introduce ourselves. So my name is Allie. My name is Sydney. And we met in college in Tennessee uh, through our campus ministry. We both studied English literature together and we eventually became roommates and just had so much fun talking about what we were reading and what we enjoyed and had questions about what we were reading and, and challenging each other in those ways. I studied English education as an undergrad, and I have just always loved to think critically about what I'm reading. I was a large role, played a large role in our leadership and our college ministry on campus, and that really strengthened my skills in facilitating discussions around faith, uh, leading manuscript studies, which is just reading scripture and taking away all the notes the editor has made. So verse lines and headings, and really just looking at the text itself. So I guess I've always been really passionate about helping people understand how God is trying to show up through stories and text. I went to graduate school because I just missed reading and I studied English literature. And as an English student, I was surrounded by people who were doing this for their careers, researching literature. And so they were asking themselves a lot of, how is literature valuable? and what can I contribute to the world around me? How can I make a job out of this? So for me, that answer is God is a storyteller and we are made in his image. And God communicates through the story of the Bible and he invites us to share our stories with others so they can learn more about him. Uh, I still work at the university, but I don't work in English anymore. And my husband and I live in the Southeast United States and our leaders in our local Christian community and my favorite novel is Frankenstein. I even have a life-size cutout of Mary Shelley in my house. Yes. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah, so my name is Sydney. I also studied English and writing communications in undergrad. Uh, as Ali said, we both went to the same uh, small liberal, liberal arts college in the southeastern U.S., um, so by the time I graduated, I was so burnt out on reading. I was just done. I needed a break from fancy literature and explication and writing. And the, I realized that the thing that gave me the most life in college was actually doing ministry and just talking to people about God's word, talking to people about Jesus. And um, I, I knew that that was something that I wanted to chase more so after I graduated than English. So it was almost as if 
my degree was put on the back burner for a little while after graduation. And so I decided I wanted to get more training and an international ministry experience. And so I went to New Zealand two months after undergrad, got some more training um, in ministry and in sharing, uh, sharing different tenets of the Christian faith and um, ended up going and traveling a little bit more internationally after that, went to Thailand and Cambodia, and I just was absolutely in love with community development, training people in community development, and specifically just teaching people, regardless of their vocation, regardless of whether they were in full-time ministry, uh, working in a bank, working as a doctor, just teaching people how to live out a biblical worldview and how to come into a new cultural environment as a learner, respecting the image of God and a specific group bears. And so I ended up actually meeting my husband in New Zealand. We got married there. We uh, continued coordinating local ministry opportunities and training leadership with our nonprofit in New Zealand. And um, I ended up establishing a five month five-month community development program there um, before we left in 2019. We moved back to Canada, which is where my husband is originally from. And now I'm a mother to my son Harding in Alberta. And my husband is currently training to become a master electrician. So we went through several periods of um, where we both read books, me and my husband both. And so as we were doing this, I was like, man, I actually really do enjoy reading. And so, um, by graduation, I didn't want to read it all. Then when I went through ministry, I only wanted to read Christian nonfiction or theology books. And now I'm in a season where I'm able to balance a variety of, of books. I read fiction, I'm reading parenting books, I'm reading theology books. I think we both approach our faith and literature in different ways, but I think we have very similar intentions. Like we both want to learn to love God and other people better and to celebrate God's goodness and beauty through the stories we read. Yeah, that's so true, Sydney. And I think... Absolutely. And I think one one more thing to add on to the why part of, of this podcast is we've really lost the value as Christians of just creating and taking in art and valuing art. And, and so, um, you know, for generations before ours, art was used to expand humans' mental, emotional, spiritual capacities, right? And so... Protestant Christians have kind of succumbed to more, more of this than like say Catholic Christians who um, more generally have like an artistic expression in their places of worship through stained glass, painting, architecture, stuff like that. But um, you know, that it still has value and it still has a place. And we, we want to value the specific form of literature as a way of, of expressing that, that beauty that God stands for. Mm, that's good. One thing you might, people might notice um, is, or might have heard in our backgrounds is your career took a very missional turn and my career took the more scholarly turn. Yes. And so I think this podcast is a beautiful marriage of those two passions and interests. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we want to give a little brief uh, purpose and overview of why we want to do a podcast like this. What is the significance of blending together the the theological and the literary? What what does that accomplish, and why do Christians need to? 
pay attention, right? So I think one thing that I've noticed over the years, and Allie, you can chime in here too, is I've encountered a couple groups of reading believers. So I've encountered Christians who only read like theology books, self-help, Christian nonfiction, and basically utilitarian books. And they don't see the value in exploring fiction in general. And then I see some Christians who may read contemporary fiction books, but they don't see the value in or have even a desire to read more literary or classic works, which I think is our background from what we studied in, in university. And then there are some who are a mix of both. And um, so I, I think there's a lot to say about that push away from what isn't necessarily useful, quote unquote. So um, our hope is to encourage Christian brothers and sisters to engage with secular fic fiction literature and to provide some starting points for um for those who are listening to engage with classic texts on your own. We want to provide insight into why you should read classic literature um, and, and ultimately bring them back to the Bible to shed some light on them. So to hold it against the standard that that scripture has set and pick out things that uphold the truth of, of um, what God's kingdom stands for um, and maybe some things that need to be redeemed, some things that aren't necessarily uh, aligning with the truth of God's word. And so as Christians, this is an important part of living in the world, right? So we engage and participate, but we also evaluate and we, re we reflect on our experiences, on the things we take in, um, in through our eyes, through our minds, um, in, in light of truth. And so everything we do must be examined through that biblical worldview. And so uh, we also want to emphasize that even though we've studied this in college and as Allie, as Allie has done in grad school, we're by no means experts. We, we aren't experts in every text that we're going to be talking about. And we really, but we really just wanted to provide an accessible outlet and a springboard for newcomers to be introduced to this kind of literature genre. Yeah, we're really just nerds who yes. love each other and love these books. Cindy, you kind of mentioned that you've seen two camps of Christians, more or less. And do you want to talk a little bit more about or speculate on why perhaps Christians lean more towards the utilitarian nonfiction, uh, for lack of a better term, self-help form of books? Right. Yeah. So I think we've touched on this a little bit already, but I... Uh, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong in people reading straight theology books. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with people having a bookshelf full of really like strong, meaty books about God's word and about God's yeah. just character and people and truth. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, sometimes I just ask myself, like, what are we missing when we only take in books like that? You know, are we missing um, being able to experience and see a specific facet of God's character that we wouldn't see reading other types of books. You know, if we're taking in books through the lens of classic literature, um, are we able to see that God creates people who are creative in and of themselves and, and that they are bearing God's image in the way that they write beautifully and the way that they describe things in a way that we aren't normally able to express in our daily conversations? 
yeah, I, I think I'm still exploring why um, Christians in particular are scared to explore fiction. Um, I think part of it is they're afraid. It's kind of like uh, Christians only taking in uh, Christian music, right? It's like it doesn't, it's like uh, they don't want, want it to distract them or taint them in some way or pollute their spiritual eye, you know, or their hearts or something like that. I think books are very similar, right? It's a similar, it, it's an art form. It's just a different form. And um, maybe people are scared of wasting time or it somehow polluting their, their spirits by taking something in that isn't strictly talking about scripture. Yeah. Yeah. If we think about our spiritual minds as muscles, then that's something that needs to be strengthened. You know, we have to do exercises to become more quickly aware and more intuitive to answer questions about our faith and to respond to things that are challenging our faith. And I think literature and fiction is kind of a safe way to do that because it's not real, <laughs> it's fiction. And when we're confronted with questions like, is God real or um, are people good or bad? We can explore those questions through the lens of our faith and with scripture. And it, it allows us to have better conversations outside of that fictional world with real humans and, and with other non-Christians. So I think, um, yeah, it's important to know your theology and to know God and scripture, but we also need to be able to relate to, to everyone else. So, um, yeah, Ali, do you want to go over our goals and, and just what we're trying to accomplish and maybe what we're not trying to accomplish through uh, the episodes that we're creating through this? Yeah, Sydney already said that we are by no means experts in this field, and we recognize that we can't cover it all and we can't do everything. But there are some things that we do want to try to accomplish. And one of those is to talk about literature. And we chose literature instead of all of these different kinds of forms of art. You know, there's, there's painting and there's movies and there's music, uh, but we're mostly going to talk about books or literary texts. And that's because God is a storyteller and the Bible is his great story. And it tells our story. And also because it's in our wheelhouse, it's something we've practiced, it's something we've studied, and it's something that we're passionate about. The entire arc of scripture is a redemptive story. And as Christians, we're called to seek the redemption of all things. So we're choosing to jump into fiction and literature to find the redemptive pieces, the pieces that help us reflect back on the truth of the Bible. We are also talking about literature and stories because within scripture, we see storytelling as a very prominent form of communication. Uh, people throughout scripture use it to communicate really difficult, hard to stomach moral concepts and turn it into something that is understandable for the audience and something relatable and something that feels very natural and grounding. We see examples of storytelling in the Bible, such as 2 Samuel, when Nathan tells the story to David to convict David about killing Uriah and raping Bathsheba. And 
In telling the story, Nathan allows David to come to the conclusion on his own in a way that he can't deny that what he's done. We also see in the New Testament, Jesus using parables throughout the gospels over and over again to convey the character of God and the nature of the kingdom of God to an audience that was on the outside, an audience that was mostly low class, those who weren't weren't given access to scripture in other ways. And Jesus makes it really accessible and um, really piercing to their hearts and minds. What do we mean when we say classic literature? That can sound like very specific set of books. And sometimes it is, but I think in our case, we're a little more flexible with the term. When we say literature, we are thinking of texts that have been categorized as exceptionally artistic and created with specific intentions beyond entertainment. So these are writings that have been given purpose by their author, either to inspire or challenge the reader's thoughts. And when we say classic literature, we're referring to texts that have been recognized by generations of scholars as exceptional in both of these areas. So the aesthetic skill, how well it's structured, and also the depth of thought. We chose to discuss authors who aren't believers for several different reasons as well. So we are probably going to talk about authors who, who do know the Lord and, and who did profess their faith, but a lot of the authors are going to be those who didn't express a Christian faith or her, who were for sure not Christians or were unsure of. We think it's important to talk about authors who aren't believers because they are also imago dei. They're also made in the image of the creator and then that means they've been given the gift to create. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Even people who don't know God can see God in the world, can see that there is a need or God in the world. And these recognitions have been written down in stories. And we want to remind people of the stories um, and respond to questions and insights that those who aren't Christians have had um, and to be able to tell people, here's what God has to say about it. Here's what God has to say about your story. Yeah, so as we examine uh, each of the works of literature that uh, we go over in each episode, um, we want to examine it through the lens of God's truth, beauty, and justice. So we believe that these three aspects of God um, are the foundations of his kingdom, are the foundations of how things are being made right here. And so with truth, we believe that it's absolute and that it's understandable. And we're able to examine our world, kind of like what Allie was mentioning before, and what's being created based on what we know about God's character and his kingdom. And so we believe that we also have the ability and the responsibility as, as believers to examine the things that we take in and see how it upholds God's creativity, different aspects of his character, 
um, and also ways that it could be redeemed, ways that it may not align with the truth of, of what God stands for. And with beauty, so beauty uh, is celebrated, it's given room in scripture, um, art, uh, dancing, different crafts when the tabernacle was built, all of these different things um, stood for the tenet of beauty of God's kingdom. And there's room for that. We see just in, in creation itself that, that God could have created a very black and white world. He didn't have to create all these different species of flora and fauna. He didn't have to create humans to be each person being a unique um, image bearer. We could all just be, you know, stick figures walking around, but we're not. We each bear a specific um, aspect of God's character. And I think that uh, not just in humans, but in nature itself, it just shows that God prioritizes the beautiful. And so um, it may seem superfluous or it may, you know, may seem uh, unnecessary, but I think that's one of the most um, appealing part of God, uh, appealing parts of God's character is that he, he loves the beautiful and he loves to make things beautiful as well. And as far as uh, the last, the last aspect of God with justice, God is our advocate, right? And he brings everything into alignment with his purposes. And so with some of the books that we read, they're going to be problematic. I mean, they're going to be books that maybe when they were published and when they were released, um, and maybe even decades of readers as they were reading this book, didn't really notice or pick up on or advocate for a recognition of the problems that were in the books. But we want to do, um, we, we want to do, uh, how should I say this, Allie? We want to be able to embody God's justice by being able to examine these books and picking up on the things that aren't right, aren't just, um, need to be redeemed, need to be um, understood in maybe the historical context. Um, and not omitted. We don't want to want to overlook or glaze over the things that may be ugly about some of these works, but we want to acknowledge them and, and look at them face uh, face. What's the word? Head head on head on. Is that the right word? What am I looking for? Sure. Confront them head on. Look at them face value. <laughs> right. <laughs> we want to look at them uh, unafraid of what they have to say. Right. And I, I think that we have the responsibility and uh, the, yeah, just the room to be able to do that, that now. So as Christians, we're meant to fulfill our roles as ambassadors of God's kingdom by upholding these different parts of God's character, truth, beauty, and justice. And so it's easy to see how useful um, standing for truth and justice are, but we often disregard what that God has made beautiful things for us to enjoy, like cherry blossoms, cinnamon rolls, pretty shoes, dancing, <laughs> and beautiful literature. That's just part of it, right? And so in the process of examining beauty within the literature, we want to uphold beauty of literature itself. And so something there's something in us that inherently gravitates towards beautiful things, towards things that are broken and are made beautiful. Um, and, and this is kind of our mission statement, right? So we wanna orient, orient our conversations at the close of each episode by summarizing what this piece reveals about these three traits of God. And so we want to look at um, how God's truth is or isn't upheld in a particular work of literature, how um, beauty uh, is seen through the prose, through the themes, 
through the structure of the book and whether or not it upholds God's justice, whether there are parts of it that are problematic and, and need to be made right and uh, need to be acknowledged for uh, being broken in, in and of themselves. So, yeah, yeah. I think ultimately we want to draw closer to God as we ask him, God, how do you read this literature? How do you interpret these characters as reflections of people that you love? And how do you interpret this world as it is broken or as it receives grace and mercy? And I think those three traits, God's truth, God's beauty, God's justice are going to center us as we ask some of those really hard questions. We have an exciting list of books that we have talked about. A very long list so far. Yes. Maybe it's <laughs> very long. It's full of lots of variety. So we have variety of genre. There's mostly novels, but there's some short stories, poems, a play or two. And we really want to create a safe space, a platform, a jumping off point for our listeners to get comfortable with texts that they might not be familiar with. So we wanna give you an end point. Um, literature is fun in all of its forms for the most part. I'm not the biggest fan of poetry, but I, <laughs> I have stuff to learn from it. So we hope that by providing a variety of genre, you uh, gain some insight as well. We also have a variety of content and reception. So Sydney was saying earlier that some of these books are problematic. Some of these books were celebrated when the author pu first published them. And some of these books didn't get famous until well after the author passed. And some of these books were once received well and are now no longer received well um, for various different reasons. And so we wanna, again, have those hard conversations about why that is and how these books influence our thinking and how we as Christians can reframe how the book influences us or rethink about what the book has to say about the world. Again, through how does God see our world and the story that is being, that he's telling. Yeah. And I'll just add, we also want to be able to create the ability to discern, right? I think that's very important as we read literature, as we really read any kind of book, right? Theology, whatever. Uh, we want to be able to discern what's good and what's bad. What's, what's something that we should uphold and celebrate and what is something that we should question and um, maybe push back on, right? And so as we read these books, um, you know, I, I think of a book like Gone with the Wind, right? Gone with the Wind is just this epic uh, Southern novel that was received uh, so well and was so celebrated and had this, you know, record-breaking movie made for it. Um, but, you know, there's problems around that. There's a lot of problems around it. And so I don't think that people should stop reading a book just because those problems have been brought up. I think it should still be read. Books like that should be read within a context and be able to confront it and hold it accountable. Um, but also to use it as a way to build up that discernment within our hearts and within our minds. Yeah, that's interesting. And real quickly, I will say, we see Jesus doing that too. 
right? Yeah. When Jesus told parables, he told parables that were so countercultural and he put characters in stories together and interacting with each other in ways that was not heard of and that felt challenging and problematic in order to get his audience to ask those questions and to evaluate their own hearts and their own culture. And so as we read these books through the lens of scripture, we want, we're following in Jesus's footsteps and re-evaluating our own hearts and re-evaluating our culture. So, yeah. And I, I do want to also add that we're adding a few classics that may not be conventional classics as well. So I think that this is the cool part about being to create the podcast into whatever we want it to be. We get to add books that maybe have been classics to us and people are aware of that might not fit into the conventionally packaged uh, classic literature genre. So I'm excited to explore that. Um, I think some of the first few books that we're going to be doing um, would be a surprising choice for this kind of podcast, but um, hopefully we'll be able to blend together one uh, works of fiction that are some that it's like, oh yeah, those could be easily tagged as classic works of literature or oh, okay, yeah, that may be a cult classic. I've heard of it. There was a movie about it, but let me see what they got to say about it. So hopefully we have a few that people are interested in and that maybe they've seen the movie and now they are interested to read the book. So before we get into our next episode, um, what are you reading right now, Sydney? We want to end each episode with just a little... Um, connection point. So what's giving you life? What are you reading right now? Oh man. Okay. So I just finished, um, a, a book that I wasn't crazy about, but I pushed through it cause I'm trying to get through my, my good reads goal, goal, uh, list of books for the year, but I'm reading an Octavia Butler book right now. It's called the parable of the sower. And it's a, it's a science fiction book. And I'm just so stoked to, um, start reading it and it's uh, it's been on my list for a while but I've just I just bought it it's on my Kindle I'm like fully going into it and it's it's pretty intense so I'm also reading um, a few different books about uh, what it means to be the oldest sibling or to be the firstborn of a family and so I don't think we've even discussed this, but it's really opened my eyes to a lot of like why I'm wired the way I'm wired, why I, uh, you know, why my personality is the way it is, why I handle situations the way I do, um, and how being, being raised as the firstborn by a single parent, like what, what that does. And so that's, that's been giving me a lot of like revelation and a lot of things that I didn't uh, expect God to bring up. So it's been fun. It's been challenging and, uh, super rewarding. So that's, what's giving me life right now. Um, I have, it's interesting. I have always loved fiction and it used to be very difficult for me to finish nonfiction books, but right now I'm in the middle of three different nonfiction books. Nice. Um, and and also reading a, a fiction novel. So um, one of the books I'm reading right now is called Prayer in the Night. Um, it's a meditation on the prayer of Compline, which I did not grow up in a, from a liturgical background. 
Um, and But I have grown to love liturgy and just the structure and the meditation it offers for Christians um, communally. So I'm reading this book on the prayer of Compline, which is basically what you pray before you go to bed um, for those who are awake or hurting in the darkness throughout the night. And it has been heavy, but such a blessing to feel like I'm not alone. Like we are not alone, you know, at the, the one year mark of a pandemic. So I'm reading that. And then I'm also reading a fantasy novel. A Wise Man's Fear. It's the second oh. book. Oh. Have oh you God. read it? <laughs> I've read The Name of the Wind and I have been trying to persuade my husband to read that book for weeks now. He just finished the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, it's like, I think it's second read through. He's like, man, I want to read a new like fantasy series, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got the perfect one. It's amazing. I love the first one. I haven't read the second one yet. That's crazy. I read it so fast. The first one so fast. It was one of my friend's favorite books and he gave it to me to read. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. Fell in love. The second book, I will say it's a great story. Um, there's a lot of action, but the first book is better. All right, our first episode is going to be so much fun. It's my book choice, the S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders. She wrote it when she was 16. It's kind of West Side Story meets Edgar Allan Poe. I don't know, I'm not sure, but we're excited about it and we can't wait to have you join us. Outro music. <laughs>